Next presentation is our second Medicine Unboxed student presentation for today. Um, and this is David King, who's a third year medical student at King's, but also has a degree in medical anthropology from the University of Kent. David. Thank you, Sam. And uh, thank you for this whole weekend. So, picture this. You wake up one morning, you go to the window, you see that it's been snowing overnight. What is your initial gut reaction? Disgust? Indifference? Wonder? I too would find it beautiful. In those first moments before the thoughts of wet feet and traffic jams, I would be smiling. But why does the world look so beautiful the morning after the year's first snow? When you think about it, the whole world is just white, blank, boring. The snow robs all color, all texture. Why should it be so beautiful? Perhaps the snow moves us to pay attention in a way that we forget to do when we can rely on past experience and expectation. Perhaps all we need is a little provocation. Now, Imagine that for the past 30 years, you've been trapped in a closed loop of hopelessness. You've been unable to recognize beauty or to experience wonder. And then, one day, you go to your window, and instead of seeing fewer colors, you see more. Instead of a dulling of texture, there is an amplification. The whole world appears vibrant, alive, magical, and you rediscover a connection to it and the people in your life so strong that it moves you to tears. I'd like to share with you a difficult story from my own life about this closed loop of hopelessness. I was 13 years old when my mother came out of the bathroom and I saw in her face the most heartbreaking expression I've ever seen. I saw in her an unfathomable sadness. She had just taken 50 sleeping pills and fully expected to be dead before the next sunrise. As it happened on that occasion, she survived. But three years ago, in that same bathroom, she tried again. And when my phone rang in Singapore that evening, where I was working, I knew before I answered that she was dead. As a teenager trying to come to terms with my mum's mortality and madness, I became absorbed by psychopharmacology and psychiatric research. I believed that if I just tried hard enough, I might be able to save her. I learned from my mother that the entire way we view the world is fallible, constructed, susceptible to manipulation, and representative of only the thinnest slice in the full spectrum of potential human experience. Watching her, I became fascinated by altered states of consciousness. I tried to teach myself about anthropology, neuroscience, philosophy, hoping that somewhere in one of those worlds, there might be an answer. Eventually, I came across a seminal volume on LSD psychotherapy by Stanislas Grof, which chronicled uh, his experiences as a psychiatrist using LSD as an adjunct to psychotherapy 
in more than 4,000 clinical sessions with his patients. Groff and hundreds of other researchers had discovered that the states of mind induced in their patients by the psychedelic drugs could amplify and accelerate the therapeutic process. In some cases, the drugs only needed to be administered once for these breakthroughs to happen. Though he was not the first to say so, Groff wrote that the psychedelics might be for psychiatry what the telescope had been for astronomy, or the microscope for biology. But could it really be safe? What if it made people worse? The idea of mentioning this research to my conservative parents was uncomfortable. The idea of suggesting it as a therapeutic possibility was out of the question. Nobody has ever died or gone blind or gone into organ failure or lost a leg as a direct result of taking too much of the classical psychedelics, LSD or psilocybin. But it's estimated that more than a thousand times the active dose would be needed to cause any toxicity. Not only that, but they're not addictive. And in two recent surveys of more than 130,000 people apiece, the data showed that psychedelic use was actually linked statistically to lower levels of serious psychological distress and a significantly reduced risk of suicide. But despite the evidence, the UK government continues to schedule these drugs as Schedule 1, meaning the toughest possible restrictions on scientific and medical access. Now, psychedelics are not absolutely safe, not much of medicine is, but their risks can be well managed in the clinic. Recent research published this year, for instance, by Imperial College, showed that psilocybin could be used safely in the treatment of severe chronic depression. Every participant in the study uh, showed reductions in depressive symptoms for at least three weeks after the treatment. And after seven weeks, just under half were still in clinical remission. Now, other research from Harvard, Yale, John Hopkins, UCLA, NYU, and various other leading universities around the world show strong promise for psychedelic therapy and the treatment of end-of-life anxiety, social anxiety for autistic adults, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, chronic depression, chronic pain, cluster headaches, opiate addiction, nicotine addiction, alcoholism, and much else besides. There is a statistical measure called the clinical effect size, which measures the impact of an intervention. A size of about 0.5 is considered medium, and anything larger than 0.8 is considered large. Now, at a time where pharmaceutical companies around the world have closed down their psychiatric research labs, where we haven't had a new drug class in decades, and the existing therapies perform barely better than placebo, for many conditions. It is reassuring, to say the least, to see papers published on psychedelic therapy each year showing clinical effect sizes of 1.5 or 2 or 3. The data is clear. Psychedelic psychotherapy works, and it's safe. The risk-benefit ratio is overwhelmingly positive. Forgotten where I'm going. So, why does the world look so beautiful the morning after the year's first snow? 
because sometimes it takes something new, something dramatic, something different to give us a fresh perspective. And a fresh perspective, one you can truly believe in, can do a whole world of difference. Now, in the clinic, psychedelics work in many different ways. In the case of terminal patients coming to terms with end-of-life issues, end-of-life anxiety, the highly profound LSD experience simultaneously rubs out both the fear and the desire for death. After the therapy, the patients are no longer horrified by the idea of dying, but neither are they drawn towards it. They're able to spend their remaining days making the most of every moment that they have. In the words of Professor Griffiths, the therapy seems to open up a sense of existential wonder. In the case of MDMA-assisted psychotherapy for post-traumatic stress, the drug induces a state known as the optimal arousal zone, in which patients are stimulated enough to want to talk about their trauma, but the ordinary defensive fear responses are suppressed. They find themselves trusting their therapists more. They can access horrifying memories without becoming overwhelmed. In addicts and alcoholics, psychedelic therapy allows them to establish executive control over processes that were previously out of their hands. I sit on the board of directors for two UK charities, and one of these charities organizes one of the largest conferences on psychedelics in the world. But honestly, these events only take us so far. A thousand people sit in a room listening to cutting-edge science, but a whole world gets on outside, reading drug scare stories in the tabloids, and uh, not really giving a hoot about psychedelic therapy. And we keep hitting a barrier, these drug laws that make research so difficult. What, uh, what psychedelics need in order to reach, to really enter the world of contemporary clinical psychiatry is for research centers to be freed from the shackles of out-of-date, obstructive drug laws. It's happening slowly all around the world, but from the patient perspective, every day counts. I know this better than most. I often wonder what would have happened if I had uh, taken my mother and family to some picturesque wood in the Dutch countryside and given her psilocybin. I know plenty of psychedelic therapists. I could have done it responsibly and legally, but I didn't, and I was too late, and I will never have that chance. However, in this world, there are countless people just like my mum, people who have no awe, who have no wonder, who have no hope, no reason to live, no time left, no choice in any of it, no chance. Psychedelic therapy offers us a possibility to treat some of these patients that is unlike anything we've ever seen before in psychiatry. Psychedelic therapy is no magic bullet. It's no panacea. It's not going to change the world, man. But hopefully we can help save some. Thank you.